Excellent. So uh, my name is Traven Rice, and I am the co-founder and arts and culture editor for The Lowdown. Uh, we've been covering Lower East Side community, neighborhood, which is a very big neighborhood, um, since 2009. But I'm really delighted uh, to be launching this podcast. We've, we're off and running um, specifically uh, with the intention to talk about culture and specifically within culture, culture changers, people who have contributed in all different ways um, to, I think, shifting, changing, enhancing culture in whatever different uh, ways that might mean, what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So we're very delighted that we could be here um, with Alex Knowlton <laughs> from oh, Neighbor Out the Window. Oh, Neighbor Out the Window, <laughs> yes. Oh, I should mention we are uh, we're at PNT Knitwear on Orchard Street in their community podcast, which is lovely. So uh, please tell your friends. And so, yes, we can see Orchard Street live <laughs> right here um, and the neighbors walking by. Please tell your friends that uh, PNT Knitwear, a wonderful bookstore, also has a wonderful podcast. And a wonderful coffee shop. Studio and, and coffee shop. So Alex is the director of Joe's Pub. Um, and Joe's Pub, if, if you don't know, is a cabaret space, I think is what we would call it. The New York Times called it um, one of the premier nightclubs of New York, known for eclectic programming ranging from intimate showcases with Amy Winehouse, Adele, Leonard Cohen, and the like, to world music artists like Konono Number no. 1 and Yusho Dendor, to the downtown cabaret scene of Bridget Everett, Alan Cumming, and Justin Vivian Bond, to funny people like Amy Schumer um, and Reggie Watts, on and on and on. So uh, it also supports theater artists, uh, new work, established work. It's just a wonderful small <laughs> <laughs> musical space, live, live, you know, performance space within Joe's Pub. Mm -hmm. I mean, within the public. Right. Within the public. That's true. That's us. That's a good recap. It's sort of humbling to hear it all said in one mouthful. Uh, thank you for that incredible welcome. It's an honor to be here and to get a chance to talk about what we're doing, what we're trying to do, what we're failing at doing, and everything in between. Oh, I would, okay, wow, what we're failing to do. Uh, <laughs> I want to know all of those things. And I just want to say, um, for what it's worth, it's one of my all-time favorite places to go out in New York still, and it's a great date spot. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do date night there quite a bit. Um, so we've seen lots of wonderful people, and you never always know what you're going to get, but it's always going to be great, I think, and a really fun night. Thank you. I so, appreciate that. Yeah. So tell us about how you got there. Sure. And also, yeah, the history. I know there's a big birthday coming up. And yeah, that's right. This uh, this coming October will be our 25th anniversary, um, and it's the doors open in 1998, um, and it was sort of like the first three years was a little bit of shape shifting for Joe's Pub figuring out what all it wanted to be. Um, and it's been really fascinating to be a part of the legacy of such a storied place. And um, I've been at Joe's since 2009 with like a on and off with a little three year gap in the middle there. Um, and so that is thinking about this 25th anniversary. I did the quick math. I was like, oh, my God, I've been there for half the time this place has been open. It's really sort of completely humbling and, and amazing to um, to be in such incredible 
uh, community with my colleagues currently and standing on the shoulders and inspired by so many folks that have been leaders uh, of that space and organization and community before me, Bill and Shanta and Wiley and Bonnie and George and um, and Walter and Gaby and Dodo and everybody that's really like shepherded so many of the relationships that are still important to our artistic community really have been a cumulative effort of you know connecting with people over 25 years um, our opening performance was with Nona Hendricks and Carl Hancock Rux and both of them still play with us at Joe's and Aww. it's completely like the most incredible thing to have that sort of longevity and growth uh, over careers and half a generation and, and mm-hmm. that depth. So what, what's your sense of, um, I know, so the public has been around longer. Yeah, I think the, they've been in the building since the 60s, I think 1965. Yeah. And then was this always a plan or was it really like, what, what feels like something else that we could add to it? I mean, was this a... The, the origin story of Joe's Pub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when George C. Wolf was the artistic director of the public in the late 90s, um, he, there's, there's all, all this sort of folklore about the early days and the post-Joe Pap era of the public. And um, the, the physical space of Joe's Pub used to be sort of, I describe it as like, a room version of that drawer in your kitchen where the like rubber bands go and where there's like the half broken pair of scissors like it was sometimes Gail Papp's office it was sometimes the literary storage where they would keep scripts I think it was the casting department for a little while it was kind of just this flexible big unarticulated room um, and and my my favorite version of the folklore and I say folklore because I uh, I don't know where in the truth spectrum this actually lands. Um, But my understanding is that George was in that space, George C. Wolfe, and sort of looking at the architecture of it. And if you're in the room, there's these large pillars that, um, sorry, sometimes they block your view and sometimes they're just there. Um, But there's these large structural pillars that are in the space and if you kind of look at them, there's three of them that kind of make a triangle and, and energetically and artistically and emotionally, the, where the fourth pillar that would make the diamond that would complete this shape is now where sort of the thrust of the Joe's Pub ah. stage is. And so I really love that vision that George had of saying like, how can we create this shape? Most of the shape is already here. What actually holds up the room is one, two, three structural pillow, pillars and emotionally, artistically, the stage is holding up the roof, holding up the ceiling, holding up the upstairs. So I feel like that to me is like, there's your mission, there's your reason to go to work, there's all of it is like, how do we do our best to just like hold up this place um, and and maintain it and, and make sure it's still there for New Yorkers to enjoy the art on stage, maybe find themselves on stage either emotionally or representationally or even physically. Um, and and that's I, I just love that vision. And so that was 1998 um, that we first opened. It was a little bit of a trial period figuring out, is this gonna be pre-show dinner before the, the theatrical productions and the rest of the building? So for a little while it was sort of like, the dinner space, and then once the last curtain in the Newman or the Onspacher went up, uh, it was turned over into a nightclub. And it was like velvet ropes in the alley, nightclub vibe, um, sort of like a who's who on the guest list. It was very much um, in the late 90s, sort of 
uh, end of the end of the century opulence. Um, and it was around 2001, actually, after 9-11, when everyone was sort of looking around and thinking, like, what's the future of downtown mm-hmm. going to be? What's the future of New York going to be? Um, and, and Bill, Bill Bragan, who is the director of Joe's Pub at that time, really established the structure that we're more or less maintaining, which is using, <laughs> on a good day, I say it's a numbers game. On a bad day, I say it's a numbers game. Um, how do we leverage a small space to meet 100,000 people a year. And so that truly is just volume. And that's with that volume comes quick movement, uh, imperfection, and also just comes with a lot of yeses. We say yes to 700 artists a year because we're doing shows two times a night all year long. And so that exhaustion on the other side of the coin is just like maximizing opportunity for a small space. When you said you say yes, um, so so that's the programming is people yeah. people say pitching yes themselves. and stay out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, I mean, there's there's sort of like these um, we we sort of Isabel, my colleague Isabel, and I do all of the the programming on the calendar, and um, we we sort of work in seasons because without a structure and without a real horizon line, I find it's easy to sort of forget which way is up. Mm. It just never ends. There's no plateau ahead of you. It just, the calendar just keeps going. Because there's not like a summer break. There's not a summer break. Or a winter break. And there's not a like, you know, if if this was a, uh, the rest of the public theater, for example, has a big push to the season announcement in June. So everything needs to be done by the season announcement. And if we miss it, then it's a different articulation. It's a different way that we talk about it. Uh, but really, like, we get there, and, and then, okay, we've announced, and now we have to do. And we're constantly announcing and constantly doing and sort of, like, on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. And the treadmill just never stops. So mm-hmm. programming-wise, we're always sort of working in the short, middle, and long term and try to be sort of thoughtful about that long term, not opening the floodgates too far out before we have our bedrock vision for what the spring is going to look like. So we, Isabel and I, will do outreach to artists that, hey, we've said no to them a lot and we've been meaning to get them in, but the dates never line up. Let's just say, hey, March, April, May, tell us a day. It's yours. And so we can prioritize some of those folks that we feel like we haven't been able to program for various reasons, usually just calendar circumstance. Um, And sometimes more ambitious, large ideas that encompass like three nights in a row and we can't really just plop those in those have to be sort of built around and there's also institutional priorities on from the rest of the public um, residencies of which there are fewer but there are certainly a number of recurring artists that we want to just make sure that we're maintaining that consistency for uh, Toshi Regan has her annual birthday shows in January you know we need to just make sure those dates find their way on the calendar before we sort of you know to your point start saying yes to people that reach out to us. Um, and and there's just sort of an ongoing back and forth um, with artists and producers and agents and uh, managers and friends and colleagues that sort of help us mm-hmm. to sort of filter and, and help with uh, getting referrals and keeping new relationships uh, or making new relationships and keeping and maintaining existing relationships. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it feels very, um, I mean, it does feel cabaret still, but it also feels more so like almost variety because it's a very broad, you know, sort of wide range, I would say, of what you might see. Yeah. Um, obviously music-centric, yeah. but 
that means bands, um, comedians with who yeah. sing, and, and also just comedians. And also just comedians, totally. Um, improv type of things, mm-hmm. um, theatric, more theatrical things. You know, yeah. uh, I've seen I've seen a lot of different things. I don't know if that's um, a consistent priority or if that. Was always the case? Yeah, that's always been the case. Um, In my knowledge uh, of the sort of breadth of the programming, um, you know, the way that we institutionally talk about what we do and why sort of has changed as we've just, as words change and as needs change and really the landscape of the city has changed too. Um, We used to say that we were genre blind and that just started to feel really passive. Mm-hmm. Of like, we don't care about genre. Actually, we deeply care about what you do and how you do it and the community you exist within. So saying that we're genre blind has actually never been true. And so, and and also saying genre blind sort of like acknowledges and empowers the idea of genres as a meaningful container for things. And mm-hmm. maybe that's actually not how we program uh, you could, at all. Now you could say... I know that you're supposed to say genre expansive. Yes, I've heard genre expansive before. <laughs> I've heard genre bounding. Um, yeah, it's all, you know, words are hard. It's hard to talk about art because that's art makes art's more efficient. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's hard to, to talk about the thing that we're doing that actually is a more sort of efficient, articulate thing than talking in the first place and sometimes spin in circles mm-hmm, talking about mm-hmm. But it's usually two shows a night, you say, and two different. Almost almost always two different shows a night. Usually about an hour long? Yeah, they're about an hour, hour and a half. Um, You know, uh, (laughs) there's there's really no secrets. We tell people 75 minutes knowing that when you're on stage, time is hard. So we just leave a little headroom in there. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. things are closer to an hour. Sometimes things are closer to an hour and a half. But it always sort of Mm -hmm. comes out in the wash. And would you say that, I mean, I've always felt that it is very sort of Boundary pushing, for yeah, sure. Thank you. I mean, that seems yeah, like try. the intention <laughs> a lot. Yeah, there's, you know, there's so many um, incredible other performing arts spaces in the city, uh, whether our peer clubs or other performing arts centers or, you know, to scale up to like Town Hall and Carnegie Hall. There, you just like, there's so many home bases for folks. Um, and so we really try to be thoughtful in um, thinking of Joe's Pub as a tool in any artist's sort of toolbox and when's the right time to sort of use Joe's Pub instead of Mercury Lounge, instead of Le Poisson Rouge, or in addition to, or in supplement to, uh, building up towards something or sort of uh, coming down from something even, um, scope-wise, mm-hmm. simplicity-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes folks have really grand ambitions, but it's nice to have a container of Nobody's expecting the perfect polished thing at Joe's for an artist that maybe has developed musicals for Broadway. When mm-hmm. you come to Joe's, you're not expecting the full the full production. You're really coming to hear the music and mm-hmm. get a taste of the the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we try to we try to find some boundaries and poke at them where we can. Um, where I, I always say we we love a hyphen. Any any artist that's sort of intersecting or smushing between communities or um, genres or even mediums uh, is really interesting. And and there's artists that you know sometimes are on tour through the U.S. and um, sometimes it feels like well if they don't play with us I'm worried they might skip New York and mm. we really want them to be here. And some sometimes that's a great reason to say yes mm-hmm. just because there's a story or a, a style or really just a 
a musician or artist that we want to we mm. want to be here, and so mm-hmm. we have the ability to make space. Yeah, well, I've been following a bit um, the, some of this, these residency programs. This um, the emerging artist, as far as I know, it's the last five years you've had a program. Yeah, the Joe's Pub Working Group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've sort of worked on refining that. It's changed names three times. It started out as um, I think it was Joe's Pub Artist in Residence. We call it JP Air. Um, and that was really uh, the first year we just invited our friends and sort of, we don't know what this thing's going to be. Do you want to build this with us, figure out what the needs are? Um, and over the last couple of years, we've really realized that having a performance residency is different than having a cohort artist-driven residency. So we've been really, really been trying to lean into articulating that while the, the working group um, may perform on the stage throughout the year, and that's, of course, wonderful. It's not necessarily like what it's about. You can mm. do that in addition to being part of the monthly uh, meetings. And we have like speed dating with curators and producers. We hire an accountant to help during tax season. Um, and we have pitch sessions and we have self-funding sort of how-tos and trying to build a toolkit and also acknowledge that uh, any putting artists together we encourage them to think about like what are your questions but also what are your answers because if you ask, if an artist can ask a room of other artists for help i don't i don't know i'm not an artist i'm not a gigging artist i don't really know how to help anybody except by putting a thoughtful room of artists together and resource share and so yeah. that's what I, there's so many ways where i sort of say yes and stay out of the way because yeah. i'm not an expert i'm not a musician i'm not like a director or a dramaturg or, right. or anything i but, just sort of smush well, the people. <laughs> i mean i guess i think the feeling is that uh more and more so and that's not a new story it's not a new new york story but that the challenge is harder and harder yeah. um for emerging artists, for sure, even to just get here, be here, make it here, um, even yeah. just survive, survive at, at all. And pay rent. Yeah, yeah, and so I think more and more these places that are facilitating that are more and more valuable. Thank you. Yeah, Definitely. <laughs> and and you know the pandemic has been rough, and every you know for every door that closed for a peer venue or um, a place that does sort of uh, incubate artists or smaller venues i feel like there's there's been a real noticeable gap in capacity wise like the middle um there's a lot of small rooms and they're opening particularly further in the in the outer borough neighborhoods which i think is great i live in brooklyn i love that there's you know Mm -hmm. public records is there for a walking distance home and i can still go to roulette and littlefield and bellhouse are there like this is great and I want to make sure that we are aware of our presence in the city as sort of like a really big air quotes here, like mainstream space. How can we help to be a part of continuing the lifeline and the the professional careers for artists to be able to play Bellhouse and us and not say, oh, you can't do both because we're competing. Like that mm. to me is how I saw I saw a band T-shirt one time. It said touring Manhattan since 1979. It's like, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> like, how do we how do we create resources where artists can live and work here and create here and not feel like they can only play a show every six months because they're going to burn out their fan base or their promoter relationships or whatever it may be. Right. Big challenge. A, yeah, big challenge that I don't have the answers for. So I, so, I mean, so I would consider the wins to be a lot of support that you've given to emerging artists who have gone on to bigger 
bigger venues, bigger, whatever you want to say, yeah. bigger career moves that has totally. really been a bit of a launching pad. Yeah. Um, and then now what are you saying? That, tell me about these, these things you're not doing well. Oh, I probably, there's probably more things we're not doing well than I even know. There's, you know, I, um, I forget who has something as a theory about the sort of like known knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown <laughs> unknowns. Those are the scary things. The unknown unknowns of like, oh God, I don't even know that I missed that. Um, you know, for everything that I'm really proud of that we do, I wish we could do more mm. or less like... I can't add more seats to the room. The, that, the room is the size that it is for every sort of like, for every opportunity that we say, this is exactly what it is. And an artist is like, that's exactly what I need. We love those. And then there's artists that we talk to and they want to do a standing room show. And mm -hmm. like the room just doesn't really work as standing room general admission. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we don't have, I'm sometimes jealous of spaces like um, National Sawdust that can sort of be a little bit of a shapeshifter mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. sort of meet this flexible mm -hmm. thing. Um, and so how do we, I guess the things we're not doing, um, I'm, I'm beating myself up a little bit about the things we're not doing well, but um, I try to balance like, how do we embrace, equally embrace and resist the urge to be everything to everyone? Right, right. Because right. that's impossible, well, and we could constantly be chasing that. Mm -hmm. However, that's also the most exciting part of the mission to me is the work is never done because there's always more people to reach or to meet or to reflect mm -hmm. or to uplift or to yeah. put on our stage or invite into the audience. So the never-endingness is sort of equally the double-edged sword of, right. of it all. I mean... There are constraints just just within the right. space and the scope. And but, that's going to be true anywhere. But I I know the ones that I know, and right. everywhere else is perfect, and there's no constraints. Right, right. I don't know them. No, but constraints <laughs> are always always helpful, actually. Yes. Agreed. And, you <laughs> Knowing know, the constraints can actually help you be more creative, yeah, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I just would imagine that it's a balance, a constant always. balance of. When it comes to sort of the talent level, or I don't know if that's not the right word even to say it, but you know, yeah, if how where are they at in yeah, their creative totally. process is yeah. sort of what the conversation is, I would guess. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. There's, you know, there's so many reasons to say yes, and that's part of what I love about my job is like we can say yes because we want to support an artist that doesn't have a huge fan base, and how do we how do we be a part of them building one? That's a reason to say yes. Um, sometimes artists want to grow with us, you know, Alan Cumming can do shows at bigger spaces and every now and again he does them with us. Great. We yeah. love that. That's super fun um, to be able to be a comfortable space for him and for his audience alike to be able right. to be there. Um, and then, you know, thinking about springboards, I think about Solis Henderson who uh, was in the Joe's Pub Working Group, and she was part of a Bridget Everett show called Rock Bottom that ran for a little while. Uh, and then in the working group, she really wanted to develop her own, her own sort of like um, presence as a band leader and as a musician, and and not exclusively as a backup singer or a, a Broadway company member. Um, and so she sort of had this really clear-eyed vision of like, what do I want to do? What's the way forward? And you know, we hung out with her for a year and we still keep in touch, but mostly like her star, she rose her own star. And mm -hmm. that's sort of how can we help artists be confident and know the tools available to them to be able to to take it to the next place and know that they can call us if they want help or guidance or to bounce something around for a little bit. So I, I balance is 
totally the word because I'm constantly balancing feeling proud of artists that go on, but also like humbling because we didn't do that. Like Solis did all of that herself. And all of these artists are really doing everything themselves. And we, we can create a container and create best case scenario for them to be able to build and grow. Yeah. Um, I want to know about the 25th anniversary coming yeah. up. But I also, I, I'd love to know, um, I'm kind of interested in how the internet age as far as social media uh, and the way that people have you know, been emerging online, self, you know, a different kind of independent way of, of bootstrapping yourself has, has affected um, live performance, if you have a perspective on that. Yeah, I, um, I will couch my answer in a lot of ignorance um, for many reasons. I'm almost 40, and so I'm not sort of the perfect, I'm, I'm sort of that, that, what do they call it, elder millennial, where I remember running around pre-internet, and so I think my relationship with it is maybe singular, because uh, I'm me, but also like I'm part of a community, they're a, a generation that sort of remembered the before times. Uh, I also have a four-year-old, so my sort of awareness of the greater world is very skewed as uh, far as like free time. Um, and so, yeah, I don't really, to be, this is me talking, this is not Joe's Pub talking, this is not sort of like professional advice talking, but um, for me as Alex, like, I don't watch videos with sound on on the internet. I truly don't. It's always muted. I'm not really discovering music that way. Uh -huh. um, I mostly am watching like chefs making recipes. That's my internet version. I'm not really sourcing or scouting yeah. anybody in that uh -huh. way. Uh -huh. And um I, and this is sort of my, my music busy hat coming on now, like in the, um, in the sort of uh, emergence of uh, America's Got Talent and, um, uh, uh, oh my God, what's the huge singing show that I can't remember right now? Oh. American Idol. Yes. Like in, in the sort of like, if you're not Kelly Clarkson, being on American Idol means something very different than if you're Kelly Clarkson. And, right. And so it's all just sort of like, I think there's a very separate ecosystem that is internet talent and fan base. Yeah. That's different yeah. from sitting in a space and breathing the same air and yes. feeling oral vibrations of yep. somebody performing. And it's not a two-way street. Not always. You can be an amazing live performer and not really have that translate to TikTok. And you can be an incredible performer on your Instagram reels are hilarious, but fall flat in front of live people. Yeah. And so I think it's a really special person to be able to do both equally. Yeah. I think it has to be different. I think the execution does best when it's tailored for one medium or another. Okay, Thinking that's about so like great. Yeah. Catherine Cohen, who has, you know, I went to the show. Yeah, the show was amazing. Yeah, very and that's funny. a live show. Very funny. Like she did um, the twist. We filmed the twist for um, for a comedy special, and so obviously that was on TV, and that was great. But it was also filmed in a room with humans laughing and breathing and drinking. And so I think we, as the at home viewer of that live capture get the benefit of the energy in the space. Mm -hmm. And I think that she does podcasts, she writes poetry, mm -hmm. she writes op-eds, 
And those are all really different. And I think she does such a brilliant job of knowing what strengths to put forward in different mediums instead of like using one paintbrush for everything, which yeah. is really hard. I mean, my my humble biased opinion, because my background is theater. Yes, I want to hear it. Is <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you know, just to say that mm-hmm. uh, I do think that now more than ever, this live experience is so valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, as we go online more and more and more, of course, that's its own thing and its own medium and it's exciting and it's offer, offering opportunities that weren't there before. But then how does that translate to this live um, communication and connection? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a rarity and a very specialized thing to be able to do it all. And I think that we as sort of audience members and uh, and fans sometimes get sucked into thinking that it's supposed to be somebody's supposed to be good at everything. And that's really hard too. We deal. We have this conversation annually in the working group, where an artist is an expert at their craft at singing and hasn't really been able to figure out their comfort zone on the internet, on social media. What do I share? What's me as a performer? What's me as me? How much of my life does my sort of fans of my singing? How much do they get access to? And that's yeah, so sure. personal and different. Sure. And I think it's it's really hard. And I think the like. The tools to be a professional artist are sort of nebulous and it feels like there's a secret lock, locked box somewhere that has everything in it. And I often think about like going to high school and wishing that somebody had taught me how to do my taxes. Um, that there had been like, a, yeah. I don't know, a life readiness some basics. class. Yeah. yeah, some of these basics that we don't get. Well, yeah, we're not going to yeah. get it. Change your oil, do your taxes, like these <laughs> things that <laughs> thankfully people are, were looking out for each other in smaller communities. But structurally, um, I think that there's some cases that do it well. But if you go to uh, a conservatory or another, another like um, career track performer education system that I would love to see more sort of tools coming into those folks and how do we provide tools for people that aren't going into higher education systems that are building their own paths and finding their own ways and make those resources available so we can all not feel like you're gaming the system because you know how to send a 1099 like we should all know how to do that right that's, right. that's good that's good for everybody <laughs> and not sort of a like i did it i'm good at this it's hard yeah it is hard um okay so 25 years coming up what does April the twenty fifth? It's like, in honesty, I'm I'm sort of trying to figure out. My big question is, institutional anniversaries, for who and why do we celebrate these things? And everyone is a very. I I don't want to discount the twenty four years leading up to now and the legacy. I live and breathe the le- the legacy and the importance of everyone who crosses our stage every day. Um, and how do we keep that in balance with like? I don't know, uh, a performer's birthday is more important than an institution's mm. birthday. Um, and there's there's celebrations every day and every year. So I'm trying to balance, like you said. Uh, how do we hold the sort of like urgency and great privilege and um, and, you know, sometimes pressure of staying around like that to me is like how do we what's the next 25 years because yeah Yeah. you know if another venue closes i know how do we stay open yeah like it's not a foregone conclusion the public theater is not going anywhere and i want to make sure that joe's pub doesn't go anywhere and it Mm -hmm. doesn't really have anything to do with me 
Um, so we're, we're and, and what I love about the 25th anniversary is uh, programming the 25th anniversary is really easy because it's just like programming the 24th anniversary, the 23rd, <laughs> the 22nd, the 21st. It, we're really striving to constantly have a really clear uh, respect and reverence for artistic relationships that we have and institutional relationships we have. What is the world that we're living in right now? Best case scenario, and this is not uh, not something that's always the case, but best case scenario, if there's a major cultural movement happening or even a, God forbid, a major cultural t- catastrophe or um, community that's being oppressed, um, if we're doing our job well, those the folks whose voices need to be heard are already on our stage mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm, space. Mm-hmm. Um, I really try not to be reactive. I try to just be, how do we be expansive so that somebody has a voice when they have something to say? Mm-hmm. And sometimes those moments are really specific and sometimes those moments are just a lifetime of moments. Um, so how do we continue to maintain relationships and history and real like bedrock of... Uh, so many things over 25 years and consider where we are now that the city is changing the think I don't think we're really at the plateau of what the city this neighborhood Mm-mm. is um, I think it's coming I think that people are sort of finding their groove again but I don't really think we've sort of leveled back out a little bit and so that feels like now like you mean does, out of the last uh out of the, out of the i hate to have everything be sort of like covid pandemic but, era yeah but i think people's going out habits are still figuring themselves out sure. i think the rubber band hasn't totally snapped back of mm-hmm. like the restaurants that closed closed yeah and the new restaurants haven't all come back yet right and so there's a lot of empty storefronts i think that the housing crisis is very much not resolved very real. Is this bubble going to burst? Is it going to be something else? Uh, so whenever I start to feel myself feel like, oh, my God, it's not going to get better, um, name name drop incoming, um, I sort of expressed this sort of like not hopeful uh, foresight to the next couple of years with uh, housing getting so expensive and these apartment buildings or uh, um, office buildings being empty and sort of like, what's going to happen? And Lori Anderson, who is in residency with us the last couple of years, was sort of like, yeah, you can look at it with despair or you can look at it with optimism. In the 70s, it wasn't like people just gave us these lofts because it was a gift to the downtown arts community. Like, we took them and we made them ours and we made something and we got really dirty and it got messy and then we created something lasting. And I'm deeply paraphrasing. Um, But that's inspiring to actually have somebody who has created really so much of what the city is that we live in have optimism Mm -hmm. out of this really hard last couple of years as sort of a city and as a community and also particularly for our field it's still really battered and bruised and um so that to me is sort of like the way forward i i i take really great comfort that the public theater has a lot of support from the city and from new yorkers um, to be able to sustain ourselves as an institution, but I want to make sure that we don't take that for granted and we take that good faith and that good effort uh, and do something with it. So very past, nice. present, future is just always what it's about. That was very nice. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, that feels like a natural conclusion unless there's anything else <laughs> you, want, you want us to be aware of that's coming up. Um, I think assuming that 
are we go- we're going on September 15? Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. I think the only thing to talk about is we're throwing just sort of like a neighborhood birthday party on Saturday, September 23rd uh, at the Astor Place Cube. Uh, we're working with our friends at the Village Alliance who help us uh, to put on little block parties in that space. And so we're going to have an afternoon of, of uh, brass bands and marching bands with uh, Slavic Soul Party and Gina Brass Band and Fogo Azul. Um, three to six in the afternoon, we'll just kind of be out there partying oh, for nice. the afternoon. So come one, come all. You don't need a ticket. There's no gates. You just come on by. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, that'll be special. Looking forward to that very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming Thank by. Thank you. An honor to be here.